We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Psycho. That's the nothing personal word of the day. And that's Japanese. The best. This is the best. Why do I have a Japanese word as my word of the day on Tuesday, November 21st, 2023? Because we got news yesterday that the greatest pitcher in the history of the world, a combination of Koufax, Gibson, Kershaw, Scherzer. Now, he's Yamamoto. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is coming to Major League Baseball. And why does this interest me on a random Tuesday morning? Because your team is signing Yamamoto. He's the best. What are his stats? Doesn't matter, but just know that he played for Oryx, which is a team in the Japanese Professional League. Just know that he doesn't walk anybody, strikes out everybody, has four plus pitches, has an ERA under one and a half, and he's gonna be an automatic winner. And the good news is that he's coming to your team. Wait, what team? Doesn't matter. Every team is rumored to be signing Yamamoto, and now's the time. So let me tell you what that means. He was posted. That's what they call it. It really is something. Right now, two minutes ago, live, 8 a.m. Every team has from now until January 4th to sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto. How do you do it? He's got an agent. He's a free agent. The rule is that whatever you sign him for, you have to add a number to it, and that number goes to his team, which happens to be the Oryx Blue Wave in the Japanese Professional League. The math of how you know what you are signing a player to from Japan, and the rules have changed. 20 years ago, when you wanted a Japanese player, you would very quietly negotiate with the team who held the rights to the player, and there were no limits. You could offer that team a hundo and then offer the player $2 million. And the team gets 100, the player gets two, and the player is posted to you. Then they realized that that wasn't very fair, not because the player wasn't getting all the money. It wasn't very fair because the team was getting way too much money and the only Major League Baseball teams who could compete in that market were the high payroll, high revenue teams. So teams like my team said to the commissioner, well, this doesn't seem fair. We'd love for our city to have the excitement of signing Daisuke or Matsui or Tanaka. 
We'd like the opportunity. And so the rules were changed. And then there was something called international slot money. International slot money means there's a maximum amount of money that you can offer to a player unless they qualify as a full free agent. And the rules were negotiated with the Nippon League. And the, league, and the rules said that until you attain a certain age and a certain number of years, you cannot be a true free agent and you're subject to the limits of the international slotting. You recall there was a player who fell into that category. His name is Shohei Otani. The amount of money that the Angels paid for Shohei Otani to Shohei Otani's team was de minimis, five or six million bucks. That was it. And Otani came to the big leagues, not as a free agent. He came as a controlled player for six years, which is why now Otani is a free agent after accruing six years of big league service time in America. But if you stay in Japan, and it was important to the Japanese league that there was incentive for players to not run to America, but to stay. The advantage of staying in Japan for a period of time until you're of age and of experience is that you're an actual free agent in the world. But then the team that had the Japanese players said, well, that's no fair. We want money too. And so baseball said, no problem. We'll do a compromise. We'll let the players be full free agents and we will give you a percentage of what the player gets. So Oryx in this case does not negotiate with the Red Sox differently than the Yankees, differently than the Marlins, differently than the Royals. It's the agent of the player negotiating with the teams because what the team gets, Oryx, is the same, whether it's from the Yankees or the Orioles or the Rays or the Marlins or the Red Sox. It's based on the amount of the contract for the player. So if Yamamoto gets $200 million, the posting fee, quote unquote, is 20% of the first 25 million. So let's just say that's $5 million. Then 17.5% of the next 25 million and 15% of any amount over 50. So it doesn't matter for Oryx. They want their player, Yamamoto, to get as much money as possible. And so now as a fan, you're saying, well, that's not fair because all the best free agents, the market is always the Red Sox and the Cubs and the Giants. My team never signs free agents. I hear you, except there's no other way to level the playing field for Japanese players or international players than what MLB has done. It doesn't mean that it's fully equitable. There are not 30 teams in on Otani. There are not 30 teams in on Blake Snell or in on Aaron Nola. There are not 30 teams in on any player because some teams are building, some teams are breaking it down, some teams are trying to figure out what the hell they're doing. So Yamamoto is a standard free agent, except you are paying an over amount, an overage to the team. So that goes into the calculation. So if you value Yamamoto as a $30 million pitcher and you're willing to give him seven years, you don't give Yamamoto the full 210. You give him 210 minus the posting fee because you have to add the posting fee, amortize it over the length of the contract, and that's how you're valuing the player. Now, why do I say all this? I say this because you read a lot of things this GM was in Japan scouting Yamamoto. I always like that. 
I would always say that to our owner. Hey, do you want to send some guys to Japan? We'd like to put eyes on this player. Well, we're not going to sign the player. Yeah, but we'd like to go to Japan. We were the only team to ever go to Japan and do a press conference for Ichiro when we signed Ichiro. Our owner allowed us to do that. We went back to Japan and did clinics and did all sorts of appearances with Ichiro during his time with the Marlins. I don't understand why teams don't do more to activate Japan, but activating Japan does not mean going there and scouting Yamamoto for a game. That's eyewash. You don't need to put eyes on Yamamoto in person. What are you gonna learn? Now, are you showing him respect? Do you think that that'll give you a better chance to sign him? Absolutely not. The way the Yamamoto sweepstakes are going to go, and he will be signed before January 4th, is that he will take offers from teams and he will go to the team which offers him the most money. This is his opportunity to hit it big and his only opportunity to hit it big. The thing about Japanese pitchers, there are way more who don't make it than who do. The thing about American pitchers, there are way more who don't make it than who do. The thing about Dominican pitchers, there's way more who don't make it than do. This is not about race, origin, lefty, righty. This is about what it is to be a successful major league pitcher. You have a better chance of winning the lottery. So when teams are falling all over each other because there are players who have performed at one place, there is zero correlation. I could bring your attention to Dice K. I could bring your attention to Mark Appel. I could bring your attention to Justin Wayne. I could bring your attention myriad ways. Can't miss. For every Harper and LeBron James, there are a thousand Mark Appels. That's just the math. So when I'm allocating my payroll and figuring out how much money I want to give to Yamamoto, I am not being seduced by his numbers. I'm intrigued. I'm interested. But a bidding war? I don't think so. Now, where is Yamamoto going to end up? I'll give you a wait to see. All this BS about David Stearns and Steve Cohn not spending money, redoing their roster, Max Scherzer with his absolute crap. Oh, they're not trying to win in 24. They're tearing it down. I think what we'll learn from Max Scherzer in a moment here is that he knows not of what he speaks, and he's just a mouthpiece for Scott Boris and always has been and always will be. Congratulations, Scott. You have your hand so far up Max's us that you're tickling his tongue. But guess what? Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, I was going to say tickling your tonsils. That would have been better, Coca. 4869. Boris has his hand so far up Scherzer's keister that he's tickling his tonsils. That's way better. Wait to see. Yamamoto. Welcome to the chop shop. No, not the Braves. Not the Chiefs. I'm talking about the New York Metropolitans. Welcome to the casino. Welcome to the commute to Queens. I think Yamamoto's going to the Mets, and that's an official way to see. While we're doing the show live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel right now, if you go on your alternate screen to davidsampsonpodcast.com, 
guess what? We've embraced Black Friday. We've got a sale going. Gift cards are available. 20% off all merchandise, all accessories. And if you spend over 100 bucks, guess what? 30% off. Go on davidsampsonpodcast.com and fill up your Hanukkah, menorah, Christmas tree, Kwanzaa leaf, Thanksgiving stuffed turkey, and represent us well. And don't forget to send pictures. Max Scherzer. I'm doing it, Coca. I was going to skip this topic. I can't. I can't in good conscience skip it. Max Scherzer did a video yesterday, did a podcast. I'm glad. I'm, I like when people are guests on podcasts. I think it's fine. Let me, the background of Max Scherzer, as I've said in other shows, is that he was on the executive council for the Players Union during the bargaining for the new CBA. And this happened after I was out of baseball, except I knew for a fact, having spoken to people who were negotiating the deal, who were people I had negotiated with years past and decades past, that Scott Boris was very much in control of that negotiating room because he controlled a majority of the executive council, meaning he was their agent. He spent a lot of time saying, that's not me, that's the players, they think for themselves. I don't give them any ideas, any thoughts. And I'm here to tell you, that's absolute horse hockey. This is what Boris does. He infects you like a virus and he, he makes you say what he wants you to say like that, uh, the, the Alien Show with uh, Bill, Bill Pullman, uh, Independence Day. There are a bunch of movies like that. So Scherzer has been a one-man wrecking crew through Boris, with Boris, about two things that are going on in baseball. One is something called the Competition Committee. I told you that I used to be on the Competition Committee. That was a committee made up of team owners and presidents. And our job was to suggest changes to the game. And then the commissioner would take the changes that we wanted and negotiate with the union. And if he couldn't get a deal with the union, after a year, he could just put those changes into the game. That was the rule. But he never wanted to, either Selig or Rob, ever wanted to push anything onto the union, really wanted to be collaborative, but sometimes it can be hard. In the last collective bargain agreement, there was a trade that was made, and it was a very funny trade, as you may recall, and it was the following trade. We're gonna have a new competition committee, and guess what, players? You're gonna be on it, congratulations. But in return for being on the competition committee, we're gonna have a new way that we can change the rules. And the way is that we can just, through the competition committee, change the rules without having to wait a full year on certain of the things that we wanna change. And the player said, great idea, great idea. And then they woke up and realized, well, wait a minute. Every vote of the competition committee is by majority vote, and the owners have a majority of the seats on the competition committee. What's the use of us even being on the competition committee? And as soon as the CBA was ratified, I told you the competition committee was absolutely a joke. Meaning any power the players thought they had, they do not have, did not have, and they absolutely got taken, shockingly, by management. So Scott Boris, who voted no, and had his players on the executive council vote no for the entire CBA, 
And the reason why the lockout ended is the actual team reps ignored Boris and Boris's clients and ratified the CBA because they wanted to get back and play because Boris cared about the, the one percenters and that's it. Totally misunderstanding what it is to be a leader. But the fact is the competition committee is toothless from a player perspective. So the rule changes that happen, pitch clock, banning of the shift, engagements of the rubber. That is not, did not come out the way I wanted it to. Disengagements of the pitching white bar. Those are competition committee changes. And there's a new competition committee change where the pitch clock is gonna go from 20 to 18 with runners on base, which will save five minutes of a game for a game next year, because it was so great getting the game times down, we're gonna try even more. I love it, we, they, dollar, fine, tip jar, Christmas, party. So Max Scherzer decided yesterday that he was gonna, on his podcast, announce on the Fallow Territory podcast, that he spoke to doctors. And these are not just any doctors, Dr. Keith Meister and Dr. Neil Elitrage. These are the best of the best when it comes to Tommy John. These are the new James Andrews. And he said that they believe that pitchers arm injuries are more severe because of the pitch clock. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you not heard Boras complain about the pitch clock and about the injuries? Because his old players who he wants to get overpaid when they're old are fatigued and getting hurt and putting a correlation to a pitch clock after a sample size of one season? It's laughable. It's the same thing as in science, an experiment, and this is the argument that anti-vaxxers had, where some, someone does a study for five minutes and says, all right, we're good to go. You need a larger sample size. So Scherzer said both of these doctors are saying the same thing. They saw an uptick in severity. So the thought is that it's not just the people were getting Tommy Johns, it's they were getting really serious Tommy Johns. Or it's not just that they had shoulder capsule issues, they had severe shoulder capsule issues. I wonder if that has anything to do with everyone trying to throw a hundred. I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that there's not much of an off season anymore because everyone wants to keep throwing because they get paid with velocity. Hmm. I wonder maybe if the players would have been smarter to have a system put in place where the way they got paid in arbitration was not just velocity based and that actual being effective as a pitcher. Nah, let's not get crazy. So Scherzer would have you believe and wants to make sure that everyone's paying attention, that the pitch clock rules are the devil. But the good news is that Scherzer is your pitch man to get Shohei Otani. As part of the same podcast, he came out and said, hey, I've got a, I've got a way to get Otani. And here's what I said. I said, Shohei, money's great, but winning's better. If you wanna come win, that's better than money, I promise. That's Max Scherzer talking. Do you think that Shohei Otani hears what Max Scherzer says and gives a flying rat's pituitary gland? Not. No players do, actually. But let me tell you what's funny. Max Scherzer 
hire the one agent you hire when all you care about is money not winning. Max Scherzer hired the one agent who put him to a team who made him the highest paid player in baseball and set the market, which Otani is now trying to beat of $43.3 million per year. Do you think from the Texas Rangers standpoint that having Max Scherzer pitch Shohei Otani is your best move? Do you think that's the best way to do it? Would you give me a break? Shohei, I think you should go where you have the best chance to win. I think that's what you're going to do. That's what you've been saying the whole time. And I think the Texas Rangers, the world champions with Max Scherzer, that's your best chance to win, no doubt. There it is. Yamamoto, Otani, Bellinger, Snell, they're all going to the Texas Rangers. Breaking news on nothing personal because we heard from Scott Scherzer that money's great, but winning is better. David Sampson, podcast.com. It's live, baby. Black Friday. Gift cards are available. Enjoy it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to review a documentary I watched yesterday because I watch a movie every day that I'm going to really ask you to watch. And then we're going to talk about Selah, and I think I just did it wrong again, Coca. Did I do it wrong? I can't even believe it. Did I get the coach of the Jets every freaking time? Selah, Salah, God damn it, just go to break. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is David Sampson and Matthew Coca coming to you, nothing personal. We will have a show tomorrow, Wednesday. We are taking Thanksgiving off, but there will be a mailbag episode on Friday. Thank you for everything you've done for our show. Believe me, as this year is coming to an end soon, uh, we are humbled by the size of the audience and by the attention that you have given nothing personal. Thank you. I'm sorry that I have a name issue, and I do, and I have a thing about people putting a P in my name, and I should be much better about pronouncing names I am just learning and I'm just, I need to be better. So Coca, I apologize. The coach of the Jets, his name is Robert Sola. And he's going to get fired. Did you see that video? He did a video that was so bad. He had to explain that Zach Wilson, their quarterback, is not just not starting this coming week on Black Friday against the Dolphins. He's not even the backup. He's the third string quarterback, but he's going to be active. This is the same coach who has been defending the same quarterback all season, thinking, basically gaslighting everybody, all of the scouts, all of the people, all the analysts, all the fans, all the fantasy players. It's been the biggest gaslight of all time. Well, second biggest. And Zach Wilson was only the quarterback because Aaron Rodgers may or may not have torn his Achilles. 
Zach Wilson was not going to lead the Jets anywhere. He wasn't going to keep the Jets in the race. You can't overcome the injury of Aaron Rodgers, even though I'm not positive Aaron Rodgers on the Jets would have had a better record than what Zach Wilson has. It just would have been Aaron Rodgers. And he would have saved himself the horrible treatment of, my God, are you too old to be good? Now all the attention goes to Zach Wilson saying, wow, you just must stink. We miss Aaron. It's a perfect scenario for Aaron, a less perfect scenario for the coach because he decided I'm going to That's my ride or die. I would talk to managers often about this. Who are your ride and die players or your ride and die coaches? Felipe Alou taught me about that. His ride and die was a guy named Louis Pujols, who was his bench coach when we got to Montreal. He said, he's my guy, no matter what. And then we fired his guy and Philippe Alou came to work the next day. He was eventually let go for Jeff Torborg. But the point is, be careful who you say your ride or die is because your ride or die means that when that person dies, uh, you die too. And I don't mean literally. But if you're gonna really say that my future and my present is tied to this person, this coach, this player, I am, and I, I actually did this. I don't know if I've ever told this story. I once went to the owner and said, if you don't fire this person, I am resigning. It's your choice, either choose him or me. But I'm telling you, this is not a bluff. I will resign. And if you're gonna say something like that, you better mean it. Salah has been somebody who's been backing Wilson to the point of night sweats. And then all of a sudden yesterday, he decided, all right, I changed my mind. And the way he looked is the way you look after you get slapped by your boss, not literally. You just get taken down. You get told, we went with what you wanted and what you wanted for long enough. We've tried long enough. You no longer are in charge. You no longer have a voice. You don't have a seat at the table. Get your butt in front of the microphone and the camera and tell the world that you've decided to finally go with Trevor Simeon as your backup. <laughs> and Susan Boyle as your starter. Well, it's gonna be interesting to me to see what happens because Sala has no chance of surviving this at all. So that'll do it. Anyway, let's review something if you don't mind. I, you know what, can I do a second wait to see, if you don't mind? I really wanna do this for all the Jets fans out there listening, because I know there are a lot of you. Um, Sala, here's an official wait to see. He's not gonna be the coach of your Jets next season. Woody Johnson cannot, he absolutely cannot have him in charge going forward. Will he survive the season? Probably, what's the difference? But he will not coach the Jets next season. All right. I watched a movie, thank you for your suggestion. One of you wrote in, and it was only one of you, which concerns me a little bit, because it's new, I guess. There's a documentary on Max called Albert Brooks Defending My Life, and it's directed by Rob Reiner. If you don't know Rob Reiner, learn about him. Go watch a, The Princess Bride, A Few Good Men. If you've never heard of Albert Brooks, I don't know what to say to that, actually. Albert Brooks is a comedian. He was on The Tonight Show, 30 times, he was on David Letterman 20 times. He was part of the original Saturday Night Live. He 
is a brilliant comedian, a brilliant writer, a brilliant actor, a director, a producer. He does it all. His Mount Rushmore of movies from modern romance to lost in America, to defending your life, to broadcast news. He's been a character actor that you may have seen. He's the dad in Finding Nemo. He plays the Florida Marlin in Finding Nemo. This documentary is about his life. I did not know what happened to his dad. I didn't know who his parents were. And it got me thinking that I am so interested in certain actors and certain athletes and certain, that I dehumanize them. I don't actually focus. I never knew, for example, and I learned in this documentary that his name is actually Albert Einstein. His parents named him Albert Einstein. Einstein was his original last name. He was the fourth brother, same two parents, parents in show business. And they waited till the fourth son to go Albert. The other guys are Bob and Chuck and Larry. Hi, my name's Albert Einstein. Thank you for beating the crap out of me. Eventually changed his name to Albert Brooks and eventually has become one of the great talents of the 21st century and of the 20th century. The reason I'd ask you to spend 88 minutes of your time watching Defending My Life is that, wink, wink, I'm not asking for 88. I'm asking for about 500 minutes of your time. Because after you watch the documentary, you're gonna wanna watch his movies and you're gonna thank me. Start at the beginning, go to modern romance and work your way forward. But start with the documentary, Albert Brooks Defending My Life. Albert, thank you. I'm gonna watch all those movies again. I was telling Coco before the show started that I am after watching the documentary yesterday, I can't, I've got to finish Better Call Saul. I'm on episode five of, of the last season. I'm almost done with Better Call Saul. I still watch something to review every day. Then I sprinkle in some episodes and I'm exhausted actually today. I was watching uh, the two episodes of Better Call Saul very, very late last night after the football game. After the football game where the Chiefs did not cover against the Eagles and my nothing personal pick of the day did not work. I have no idea how it is possible that when Mahomes puts a ball in your chest and you need a touchdown in the last two minutes and you drop it because you're a dropper. Do you remember the player, uh, Coco, what was the name of the player in the 90s or 80s? He was a sprinter, an Olympic sprinter, and they put football pads on him and they said, go run routes. Just run as fast as you can and we'll give you the ball and you'll be a hall of famer. And what happened was he couldn't really catch the ball. The Chiefs have a guy like that as well. He's fast, but if you don't catch it, you might as well be me. I could also not catch it. Taylor Swift fumbled, dropped passes, punting from the Eagles 39. Jason Kelsey got the best of Travis. However, we told you to take the Clippers and the Clippers crushed the Spurs as we told you they would. So we are 173 and 169. Our pick for Tuesday is the Magic one and a half over the Raptors. 
The Raptors are very much in my mind today because the Raptors are involved in a lawsuit with the New York Knicks. And I wanted to update, this has nothing to do with the Magic one and a half over the Raptors. The Magic just happened to have good players you've never heard of. Well, you should have heard of them. One of them was the top rookie last year. But the Raptors, they're just, they're not good. It's not that they're never been good. They got a title with Kawhi Leonard. They have one of the best, in theory, president of basketball operations. But there's a lawsuit going on with the New York Knicks that is important for you to hear about. Let me give you the background, and then let me tell you what they're fighting about. The background is the Knicks are claiming that they had an employee, and that employee was a double agent for the Toronto Raptors. And that employee was taking confidential information and giving it Toronto to Toronto, and eventually left the Knicks to join Toronto. Bring it down to bare bones. That's what happened. But the lawsuit that the Knicks are filing is that they want to get paid. They want the Raptors to give the Knicks $10 million because they claim that they've been damaged. And the damage that they're claiming is that they suffered because of what this employee did. This Knicks employee only was there for a couple of years, but gave all these files to the Raptors, scouting files and opposition research, making it sound like he's Nixon. Frequency reports, their prep book for last season, all these different things. They give him to the Raptors, and then he joins the Raptors. And they say that Toronto purposefully had him as a Nick, this, this individual, and they had him work for the Knicks like as a spy, like the Falcon and the Snowman. But that's not really what the issue is. The issue is that the Raptors want the commissioner's office to be the arbitrator of this dispute, and the Knicks want the courts to be the decider of this dispute. Why is this a big deal? One of the things that you do when you buy a team is you sign a document. It's a franchise document. It's an agreement with your league that any disputes that arise out of any actions that have to do with your owning of the team and any other team or the commissioner's office or any of your employees will all be subject to arbitration. And I'll be the arbitrator. Now, Rob is not the arbitrator. Adam Silver is not the actual arbitrator. In, in baseball, a guy named John McHale is the arbitrator. He works for baseball. It's the same thing. Just pretend it's the actual commissioner who's the actual arbitrator. There are arbitrations through independent arbitrators, the Independent Arbitrators Association, and you can do arbitration. A lot of contractual disputes are handled through arbitration. That doesn't mean that you go to the CEO of one of the companies involved in the dispute. They are independent. It is always the fight when you are trying to get something from someone. When John Gruden is trying to get money from Mark Davis, he does not want the case to be heard by Roger Goodell because he views that Roger Goodell will favor an owner. 
What the Knicks are claiming is that this case should not be subject to arbitration because Adam Silver is going to favor the Raptors. And their claim, this is a Jimmy Dolan special. This is better call Saul kind of stuff where you find a lawyer to say something that defies logic or reason. And you, the lawyer of good standing, member of a bar association, plugs his nose and his butt cheeks as he writes in an actual filing that the reason why we feel prejudiced, the reason why we're concerned and don't want this case arbitrated, this is the Knicks lawyers, is that Adam Silver is very good friends with the chairman of the Raptors. And that the Raptors chair, guy named Tannenbaum, is actually Adam Silver's boss and therefore exercises control over him and influences him and influences whether Adam Silver even has a job. And if he has a job, how much he gets paid. And then the Knicks said, and Silver and Tannenbaum are bosom buddies. Well, I'm not sure who's Scolari and who's Hanks, but here's the funny part. Guess who Donna Dixon is? Jimmy Dolan. Everything that applies to the Raptors also applies to the Knicks. Jim Dolan has as much say over Adam Silver's salary and continued employment as does Tannenbaum of the Raptors. What Dolan is acknowledging is that he's unpopular, hated, and a horrific, disgusting manager of people who built a pretty cool sphere. So this gets filed with the court. And the court has to decide in this appeal, do we stick with what's actually written? And what's actually written, even when you've been nominated by a loon on the left or the right, every judge tends to say what's actually written actually matters. I like that. And what it actually says is that the NBA commissioner will have standing as the arbitrator. And the Constitution goes through a specific paragraph about how that works. And the Knicks are claiming this is different, which is what everybody claims who doesn't want to be subject to arbitration. No, no, this is an exception. This was not meant to be arbitrated, this cause of action. And then, of course, it is meant to be arbitrated. But the Knicks are going to try. And you're going to read a lot of articles of how the Knicks are trying to sue the Raptors and how it's $10 million and this and that. And know what they're really fighting about is who's going to hear the case. And all that happens before a settlement. All right, Coca, could you play me some music, please? You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That is from a movie called Half-Baked. I encourage you to be fully baked when you watch it. Dave Chappelle, there's a, a character in the movie named Samson. And everyone wants to talk to him. You want to talk to me? DavidSampsonPodcast.com. It's not just the Black Friday sale. It's not just the gift cards. It's not just the new merch. It's also, you can reach out to me. I try to answer as much as I can. It is way too many, which makes me tear up actually. David, I'm not sure whether you were able to watch sports this weekend, 
because you may have been sick from the hot sauce. Just in case, did you see that the Brewers waived Woodruff, their best injured pitcher? Why would they do that? Well, thank you for your concern. I actually have a very funny story about that. If you did not see the Pablo Torre Finds Out episode from last week, Thursday, it was an episode about taste and smell and the fact that I lost my taste and smell and what it's meant to me. And then they had this famous hot sauce guy called Hot, hot One send the hottest sauces in the world that they poured on chicken wings and had me eat to see whether I could taste it. Pablo was throwing up in the corner. Pablo couldn't feel his tongue. Pablo was dying and he only tried the first two. I banged through all three like it was nothing, didn't taste a thing and it made me sad. And I thought I was fine. My stomach didn't hurt, no problem. Three days later, I had the worst case of rim burn of all time and it lasted for two days. I'm talking, I was sick as a dog. So you nailed it in this question. I was sick. However, I do know what you're talking about. And let me clarify, because you are saying that the Brewers waived Woodruff. Not true. They non-tendered him. Let me quickly explain what a non-tender is. Do you remember we've taught you about arbitration and how players are free agents after six years of control by their team? and how in the first three years, the team is in charge of what the player gets paid, as long as they get paid over the minimum in the collective bargain agreement. And then for the second three years, the player has a say in what he gets paid. And if the player and the team don't agree, they go to something called arbitration and arbitrators decide, not the commissioner, independent arbitrators who are not independent because they're paid by both sides. And therefore there's a possession arrow issue, but I digress. When a player has earned the right to go before arbitrators, that means that player has three years in the big leagues, sometimes two, not quite three, but forget those details. There is a date called the non-tender date that comes during the off-season calendar, and it was just last week. And what that means is you have to decide that day. Are you literally, literally, tendering a contract to your player who has greater than three years and fewer than six years of service time. And if you tender a contract, that means that that's your player and an arbitrator will decide his salary if you can't agree. But you pretty much know what the salary is gonna be and so does the player. So the teams look at their players and they say, hey, thanks for the three years at the minimum. Thanks for a couple of years of arbitration because you can non-tender a player after four years, five years. But you're hurt. You're not worth what arbitration is going to pay you because arbitration doesn't pay you for what you're going to do. Arbitration pays you for what you have done. It's brilliant for players. It's crappy for teams. Don't worry about the future plan. Hey, he's not a starter anymore. He's going to be a closer. Well, you got to pay him as a starter because he used to be a starter. Hey, he's out for the year with shoulder surgery. I don't care. He pitched last year and we're going to pay him as though he's going to pitch next year, but he's not going to pitch next year. Doesn't matter. When you're in that position, 
when you believe that a player will make more in arbitration than that player is worth, you non-tender the player. When you non-tender a player, that player happily not becomes a free agent. The irony is that in 99% of the cases, players who are non-tendered end up signing with a different team or the same team for fewer dollars than they would have made had they been tendered. That's why you non-tender. Once in a while, a mistake is made where a player ends up signing for more money than they would have made in the regular process of arbitration, but that is a unicorn. Players don't wanna be non-tendered. You work your entire life to get to arbitration and you want to be tendered a deal so your contract can be done in the arbitration world, in the arbitration process. But when you are a team like the Brewers and they're like 28 other teams, you can't pay a player like that not to play. That takes too much of your payroll. The person who signs Woodruff as a free agent and the irony is that all these players always wanna be free agents. They don't wanna wait six years. They wanna get free agency as quickly as possible to which I always offered every player and every agent, we'd love you to be a free agent. We're gonna do no long-term deals, always one-year deals, and you'll be a free agent every year. And they looked at me and said, are you crazy? And we'd have to be good every year to get paid? We will never do that. So there you have it. So Woodruff is now a free agent and a team will sign him, but it will be a large market team because that team is going to sign him for 2025 and pay him for 2024 not to pitch. That is a luxury that very few teams have. They want as many performing dollars on the field as possible. That is why Woodruff was something called non-tendered different than the waiver process. But if you're a consequentialist, then it really is the same thing. And the reason that decisions like that happen, you know, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.